When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Commentator Garth Galloway joins us. Garth, good morning. Welcome. Uh, G'day, Mark. Uh, exciting over here in London. Only uh, uh, three hours till the first ball's bowled, and uh, can't wait. It's very, very exciting indeed. Big match for England. Now, before we talk about the cricket, you had a chance to run in with the great Billie Jean King, one of the greatest tennis players that's ever played the game on the women's side. Tell us a little bit about that experience. I couldn't help sending you a selfie. Um, <laughs> I was, well, I just had a lovely. <laughs> we had a very good afternoon. We had uh, the old the England coach, uh, Brendan McCullum, gave us a guided tour. He had a few friends from Matamata out there, and uh, he was kind enough to take us, about 10 of us, up around the players' area into the England dressing room and um, and all, all around uh, the you know the sort of playing area and the great parts of Lords, which was a real treat. And then I jumped on a uh, tube, did some shopping in uh, German Street, the famous sort of shirt-making area, and then got a taxi home to Wimbledon, to, oh sorry, a train to Wimbledon, got out and uh, got some food and asked my taxi driver just to wait there and when I got back into the cab he said, simply Jean King and uh, there was this elderly lady in a restaurant with her back turned to us and I thought as she turned around, I thought it was, so I, I thought I just couldn't resist going and saying hello, so I said, you're a tennis player and she said, no, <laughs> and I said, were you a tennis player and she said, I might have been and I said, you're probably Jean King, and she said, I certainly am. So she was lovely. We had a quick chat and she gave me, uh, she was kind enough to give me a selfie with her. What a legend. What an extraordinary person. Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? But I, I, look, well done on you in terms of recognising her, um, clearly showing your love and passion for the game and your understanding of the game and her place in history. Well, it was my taxi driver who spotted her first. I was uh, chasing food and, uh, mm. but then recognised her, sure. I mean, she is. And, then, and, and of course, then I sent an email to, through to my team saying, and, uh, and, uh, Christchurch saying, who am I with? And um, there have been many emails over overnight asking for clues. Absolutely hopeless and very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I recognised you immediately. So uh, no, I know you did. No Google, no Google for me. I think I got back to you pretty pretty quickly. Um, hey, Garth, I, you mean, did. I know you've had a professional relationship with Brendan over the years. How is he? How is Brendan McCullum? He's great. He's um, he's very relaxed. He seems. Um, I mean, you know, he talks. Ten of us, including his own family, around Lords yesterday. Uh, he talks to everyone on the ground. You know, everyone says, goes over and shakes his hand and says good day. He's he's fantastic. Um, he doesn't seem to be. You know, he's in an incredibly relaxed space. It's it's quite extraordinary to watch actually. Um, you know, you you wonder as we talked about. I at the moment, the English press uh, being kind. I think there's an there will be, you know, if players get out playing silly shots and England lose this match, you know, I think things could turn a little bit in terms of media coverage. But I think his approach would be, well, don't read it. So, um, you know, he's never really read much in terms of the media because, uh, you know, I think his view of it when uh, when they were going through the troubles with the New Zealand side all those years ago was that it's very damaging. You know, you start to, um, if you start to read everything and particularly social media and so on, then... Uh, it, it can obviously impact on performance.
Yeah, no, we were just talking about that, and we've all been affected by it at some point. You know, I've copped it as a commentator yeah. at the Olympics. If you go looking for positives, you'll find a lot of negatives. And, yeah, just be careful, sort of. Yeah, so the best thing to do is just not look at it, as you said. And we've just had the situation over here um, with the referees after that Super Rugby final, and the Chiefs fans not overly particularly happy with Ben O'Keefe. And um, it's clearly been a big media story. Uh, look, at the, the terminology, Baz Ball, how does that sit with Brendan? And, where, and, and how did Brendan get the nickname Baz? Uh, well, well, baseball won't doesn't sit, sit well with him at all, and I won't. I've never discussed it with him because I know he hates it. So, um, and you know, he, he, the reason he won't like it is it's he. If, if you watch him, he won't go. Um, if the team wins, then the players go and front the media, and if the team loses, he does. And that that's been his approach. Again, he he wants to protect his players in that sense, and. Uh, he, he wants them to take responsibility and so on. So um, he, he, he will loathe the phrase, but it's there and it's stuck and it, it's not going to go away. Uh, Baz comes from his middle name. So he is, he, he's Brendan Barry McCullum. And, um, uh, it's quite an old-fashioned name for a relatively young man. Uh, and so that's where Baz comes from. <laughs> no, I always yeah always remember Martin Crow always referring to him as Baz and... Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's a name that I've always been familiar with, even before I really sort of knew that much about Brendan McCullum. Now, look, uh, England have brought well, Crow, in... You, uh, yeah, go on. Sorry, you go. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, Crow and him were from, from very different sides of the track. You know, it mm. was, um, it's always interesting. You know, Brendan, as I said to you last time I spoke, grew up in, um, in South Dunedin, you know, in a very working class blue collar, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I think always with Crow, there were a lot of um, things that were quite, quite quite different and uh you know i mean i think he always struggled with players like ken rutherford and things as well but just that sort of you know that that, that working class approach wasn't really martin crow yeah and look i'll be honest i think probably i had maybe a bit of a prejudice towards some of those guys i i, I wouldn't say that i'd brought up um any sort of um you know white collar necessarily but i probably maybe was socialized into maybe you know having yeah maybe relating a little bit more to the traditional cricket and rugby side of society rather than softball and the rugby league side of it and the horse racing side of it and um, yeah and I think it's a mistake a lot of people can make Yeah well it, it, it's interesting I, 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 um, I, mean, I had a very privileged upbringing and um, you know being sent to a private school and all of those things I was very lucky and um, but, but it's interesting I always I found a lot of that uh, a, a little bit disquieting at times and I I always used to you know when I was stuck at um, at Christ College on a Sunday I'd often go and watch rugby league if I could I don't mm. know why but I actually loved mm. it mm. Uh, and and I still do enjoy that sort of um, you know the 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 the, uh, the the kind of I suppose you call it the working class you know the the, 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 mm. the you know heading out to watch club sport um, at, at any level really and just putting aside all of the hierarchy in society that seems mm. to exist at times. I think, you know, it's much more real. It's wonderful. Yeah, and look, I thoroughly um, appreciate the education I had at Manawa Grammar at the time because it was very, very multicultural and it was just a wonderful leveller. Uh, look, um, let, let's let's look at, firstly, this England team. So no mowing alley. Uh, they've decided to go with an all-out no. pace attack. Josh Tunks coming in, who recently made his debut against Ireland where he took five for 66. So what does that then suggest about the Lord's pitch? Oh, it's green. Uh, it's emerald green. So um, I saw a. I mean, you, looking at it from um, from the players' area yesterday, you know, I mean, you could discern it obviously from the um, the, the, the the outfield and things, but it's it's definitely uh, got 
a lot of grass on it. I think the England side were very surprised about the pitch that was prepared at the Oval, and you can you know you can take it from that that they had no input into it. It was a strange pitch because you know it really offered the bowlers at times very little, and then occasionally a ball would turn and bounce and so on. But this pitch, I, I think, what England would love to see is grass on it uh, at all times. So. Um, you know, I think that it will favour the fast bowlers. It's about 19 degrees here at the moment. I think that's going to be about the height of the day. It's the coldest day I've had in 10 days here. It's been uh, 32 down in Kent in the weekend. Um, most of the temperatures have been 28 to 30 each day and, and just one day down at 25. So the temperatures are dropping. Um, it might be, you know, it's been a little bit muggy in London and I'd expect the ball, if the if the bowlers can do it, the ball might swing a little bit this morning as well. So uh, pretty crucial for um, England to win the toss, in my view. If they don't, then they, you know, they're going to have to keep the game moving along and, want, and, and get the benefit of that green pitch in Australia's first innings if they can. And, and that's the way that they'll play. So, so, so you're saying whoever wins the toss is sending the opposition into bat? Certain to, certain to, yeah, absolutely. Um, unless they want to commit cricketing, Hari Kari. Um, I think, uh, you know, based on what I saw yesterday, yeah, I, there's a lot of grass on it, and I'm expecting uh, that to be left. So it'll favour the seamers. As you say, Ali is out. He's replaced by Tang. That tells you that it, I mean, it's an all-seam attack with uh, Root offering some options with the spin. And, and the only change that you'd expect from um, the... Australian side, if there is to be one, they might bring Stark in for Boland. There's, there's talk about that over here. I, I'd be a little bit surprised if they did that. I think Stark's a little bit of an unknown quantity, and Boland uh, is very accurate. The, the thing is that he went at six and over in the first test, uh, and I think if Boland plays, England will look to get to him. He, he's a bowler who's who's extremely accurate and quite nice and pacey, but he does he, he's pretty metronomic, rolling in the same areas all the time, and I think. Uh, England will really look to go after him. That that could that could work out one of two ways. <laughs> it's been interesting though, isn't it? You look at Mitchell Stark's statistics prior to Sandpaper Gate, and you look at his statistics following Sandpaper Gate, and um, yeah, I think you can draw your own conclusions from that. Yeah, well, he's he, and he's only played one test at Lords. He played in 2015. He missed out last time, and he only played. On the 2019 tour, Stark only played in one test over here. So there's an article today that some of your listeners might have seen on Crick Info talking about how they have, uh, how he's quite used to to, to missing out and uh, being dropped from time to time. Uh, but I don't, you know, I think Australia would much prefer to face Stark than than Boland on a pitch like this. I just think that Boland offers offers mm. them quite a lot. Interestingly, I think you know the real battle, Mark, is going to be the thing that's really going to tell us is the batting in the side. And, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, I think for England to succeed, uh, they've got to do more than just rely on on Root. You know, Root 118 not out and 46 in the last innings. Uh, Brooke was 32 and 46, Bairstow 78 and 20. But the top order uh, really did uh, struggle a little bit. They scored 144 runs at 24, and then I'm talking about the openers and mm. Pope. Uh, Crawley scored 61 in that first innings on a very flat pitch, but was a little bit lucky. And, you know, the worry for England, I think, is uh, they could be two for not many if Duckett and Crawley uh, and, and Pope can't really pull things together and start to score runs in a compelling way. Interestingly, in terms of Australia, you had Kawaja 141 and 65. Um, Warner struggled a bit with 9 and 36. And then Labashane, Smith and Head only scored 101 runs between them in the test. And Head 
scored 50 of those in the first innings. So they're obviously going to be looking for, you know, for an out-of-form lover, Shane Smith, and head in the second innings to score heavily as well. A lot of people, after England lost that by two wickets, talked about the declaration on day one and that it perhaps was a bit more premature. As I said, I'm not a coward-wise after the fact, and if they had a won it, everyone would describe it as a moment of genius. I'll argue that maybe the difference between the two sides was the performance behind the stumps of the two wicket-keepers. Bairstow was pretty damn average and pretty damn awful. Um, he's had a couple of, well, he's had about a week. How do you improve your wicket-keeping skills in a week? How much work would he have done, and who will he be working with? Well, and so, so just coming back to the declaration, um, you know, I think there was a lot of focus on that, and I can understand it. And I think I said to you last time, if, if, you know, people I think can criticise if they said at the time, agree, this was this is crazy, you know. But if if they're all going, wow, this is fun, and then they say it's nuts, well, I don't think they've got much credibility. So the the issue is, what do people feel about it at the time? There, there were obviously two schools of thought. Uh, in the end, I don't think the declaration made any difference. England should have won that test. And, um, you know, they had Australia in trouble. They had the mate down with 60 runs required, and they should have won it, and they didn't. Uh, and the reason they didn't win it, one of them is that Stokes uh, dropped Lyon early on, uh, but there were a number of catches. And, and I did a calculation. I think those drop catches cost England uh, cost um, England 100 runs. So uh, Green was dropped on, not many. There was a misdumping chance, and Bairstow dropped another one. He, I thought he was very poor standing up, but but the thing for him is um, he, he's not going to ha- he's only going to have root um, if they bowl spin. So he's going to be standing back, and that's going to suit him a lot more and be a lot more comfortable. Uh, Ali was bowling in the nets during uh, on, on uh, Monday apparently and Tuesday and bowling quite well, and his finger seemed to be okay. Uh, but he's not going to have the problem, and it was mainly off Ali's bowling that he really struggled. Um, so, but I would have expected Bearstow, notwithstanding that, to be doing a lot of work in the net, standing up to players, and you know they've got all, the, all of these routines where a, a person might stand there with a stump in their hand, wave, it, wave their bat at the ball, and so on, and it gives Bearstow, you know, as close to real life opportunity uh, to, to to really get cracking, but. Kerry was, I thought, absolutely first class against Lyon, and I really do think Australia have unearthed a very fine player. Uh, he scored 66 uh, in the first innings, 20 in the second, and he looks to be a very competent keeper. And it's always the keepers who, who you see who, that you know the ones who I don't like are the flashy ones who you know who grab the ball and then flick it up into the air to first slip and and you know run around doing the sort of posy things. It's the ones who do the really simple things well. And Kerry is one of those players. I think he's, he's an outstanding find for Australia. But I don't think Besto will have the same troubles. He shouldn't. Uh, the ball does wobble round a bit at Lords, but he's standing back to the quicks for most of the test. You're listening to SENZ. Garth Galloway, cricket commentator, is my guest on the programme. Garth is lucky enough to be in London and will be there for the opening ball of the second test uh, between Australia and England. The fight for the Ashes to be played at Lords. Live coverage here on SENZ from 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, let's just quickly touch a little bit on um, Joe Root as a bowler. How serious... Um, will the Australians take him if they, in fact, you know, maybe this pitch doesn't offer as much as everybody thinks? And I, I sort of sense that was a little bit the case last year against New Zealand. It didn't quite maybe, um, it was a little flatter than perhaps they thought. Um, I mean, can he carry the weight of a test spinner? 
Um, I, I think on a pitch where the ball is not turning and bouncing, so he did get, and you'll remember him at uh, Edge Best, and he did turn the ball. He's, I think he's a much better bowler than people give him credit for. And if you watch him in particular going around the wicket to left-handers, he does dip the ball into them and turn the ball away. And that, that tells me that he's getting plenty of rotation on the ball and that he, you know, he's a confident spin bowler. And, and he certainly is that. Uh, I think Australia would look to, uh, in the same way that uh, England looked to target their bowlers, I think if he gets to bowl, Australia will look to target him and smash him out of the attack. I don't think he will be or, as effective in Lords. Or do you keep him in the attack, wear him out, and hope that comes back and affects his batting? Uh, sorry? Oh, I'm just looking at it the other way. I mean, you know, look, I mean, suddenly he's going to, oh, to I see. take yeah. on the workload of a spin bowler, but the reality is he's got, since he's yeah. got rid of the captaincy, he's become a better player. I mean, suddenly you're having to bowl. I mean, surely he's got a bit of fatigue level in that. I, I, can't, I can't see him being in a situation where he's going to have to bowl, you know, so many overs that it would affect his batting. Um, but, but, you know, he, he, I, I do think he's a hell of a competent player. And uh, as I mentioned to you last time, you know, he, he apparently went into the nets... Uh, uh, before the test at each best and had 30 balls, uh, smashed them everywhere, walked out smiling and said, I'm ready. Whereas, you know, uh, uh, when he was captain, his uh, warm-up nets would, would involve, you know, pretty tedious, long sessions with him focusing on his head position, criticising himself constantly. He was a very different player. And, uh, as you know, again, as I mentioned to you, there was talk that when he walked out after one of the breaks, he, he looked to the player, he was... Um, he was batting with him, said, I'm going to ramp the first ball. I just feel like doing it. And he did. Uh, not particularly successful, but he did it. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was a lovely demonstration of intent, wasn't it? Certainly, he's like, okay. We yeah. certainly know that England are here to play. Now, look, and, the, 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 sorry. No, you go. No, no, please. No, no, I was just going to say, well, you know, intent, absolutely, and, and that sort of freedom of of, of, um, of thought, uh, you know, and, and the shackles completely unlifted. Now, many say it's, it's madness and it's too far and all of those things, but uh, his record since uh, since Brendan took over and since Stokes took over as captain is exceptionally good. OK, look, just finally, um, in England they play with the Duke ball, in Australia they play with the Kookaburra. Uh, what, is, what is perceived to be the difference between the two and is it, suit England for the fact that they are more familiar with it and what do Australia need to do to try and um, I, I guess maximise the aerodynamics with the Duke ball um, I always think the, the, the best example for me about the Duke ball in England is it was it was when Jeff Allett was here in the World Cup and took 22 wickets and equaled the world record you know, Jeff was a very fine first class bowler and a very good bowler for New Zealand um, he was a, a, a left arm you know, a, a, a brawny sort of fellow who ran and and got pace and bounce, and but he didn't swing the ball in New Zealand. He bowled pretty straight, and when he came over to that World Cup with the Duke ball, he bowled just magnificently, and he was able with the Duke ball and with the conditions to swing the ball just enough, and it was enough to make him at times, you know, almost unplayable just because of that movement in the air. So the Duke ball is renowned for moving more, even though we didn't see much swing and there wasn't much in it at uh, Edgebaston. But I think you will see some swing movement here. And uh, and again, if if they're favouring swing movement, then uh, they may they may the Australians may consider bowling Stark, who does move the ball around a little bit in the air. And I think they may have felt that they missed a trick at Edgebaston because uh, the conditions were so benign on the pitch that that sort of swing bowling. It would have been useful. I mean, the thing is that with that Australian attack, 
of uh, Hazelwood, you know, and and Cummins. Not known for moving the ball around a lot, but if they get just a little bit, that's enough. Uh, you know, those are the bowlers who tend to hit the scene. And so uh, not renowned as great swing bowlers. And, and Boland's probably in the same. But if the conditions are, as they seem to be, overcast and warm, um, then it could be that those Australian uh, the players do get a little bit of movement in the year as well. And if they do, they'll be formidable. OK, Garth, so what's now the process for you? What, breakfast? How do you get to Lord's Taxi, train? Just, um, I'd imagine I'd just have, out I, of the gym, Mark. Done my half hour on the bike. Uh, I will get a lift down with the wonderful people I'm staying with down to the taxi, uh, down to the station at Wimbledon, jump on a Piccadilly line, head off somewhere, and uh, end up at St John's Wood on the underground at around 10 o'clock an hour before catch up with a mate there, uh, may have a little glass of something, and uh, then settle in for what should be a wonderful day's cricket. Rain forecast tomorrow, I see that's changed a little bit, so there's 80% humidity forecast tomorrow, which tells you there's a reasonable chance of rain. Overcast today, and then Friday, Saturday and Sunday look to be fine. Why have I got a sneaking feeling you've got really, really good seats? Oh, um, they'll be okay. Yep, they'll be all right. They're high up with a good view. <laughs> oh, very envious, very envious. Good. Yeah, lovely to have you on the programme, Garth. Look, enjoy it, mate. Living the dream, my good man. Thoroughly deserve it. Thanks, Mark, and a lot of love to everyone back in New Zealand. Home soon.